the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome to this edition of Pastor of the Week. I'm Craig Roberts, and of course, joining me today in studio, a very special guest, a dear friend that goes back many, many years. In fact, we were discussing off the air here. We got the chance to know each other some 20 years ago, though in spite of what they say, we're both still young and good-looking. Joining me today is the senior pastor from Watsonville Christian Church, Pastor John Jester. And uh, great to see you again. Good to see you again, Craig. Great to You've be here. You've got an amazing story, not only in terms of your own personal relationship and coming to Christ, but the background of the congregation that you pastor has an amazing story, too. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I want to start with a little bit of your own personal background. How long have you been pastoring down there in Watsonville now? I came down there in 2002 and became the senior pastor in uh, 2005. So I've been into uh, pastoring there into my 16th year. And um, your background, born and raised where? Born and raised in San Francisco, uh, second generation San Franciscan. You're a Bay Area native. I am a Bay Area. Oh, boy, this is is rare treat. (laughs) (laughs) So born and raised in San Francisco, you've spent a lot of your life and and pretty much the totality of your time in ministry in the South Bay. Yes, that's correct. San Jose and and Watsonville. Mm -hmm. And and interestingly enough, your background in terms of coming to Christ is, is not one of those typical stories where you were raised in the church and mom and dad made sure you were on the front pew every Sunday morning. In fact, it was just the opposite opposite of that. Tell us a bit about that experience. Yes, it was. When I was uh, seven years old, my sister was at 12 at the time, uh, got permission from our father. She had a girlfriend that was going to a little Baptist church, asked our dad for permission uh, for her to go, and then she asked for permission to take me along. So she brought me along with her. I was seven. She was 12. My parents never attended church during my, my lifetime. So I started attending a little Baptist church at age seven, and then uh, about age nine or 10, uh, for whatever reason, just God guiding me, I started reading the Bible on my own, uh, starting in Genesis, the old King James Version, word by word, verse by verse, uh, similar to the way I preach today in church. And then at age uh, 17, I had the experience of uh, encountering the Ten Commandments and the Fourth Commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, stood out to me, and I realized that, well, isn't the Sabbath day in the Bible sunset Friday, sunset Saturday? So why am I going to church on Sunday so I started keeping the Sabbath on my own at home, and a few months later, the Baptist pastor of this little church uh, called me up and asked if why I wasn't there, and I explained to him, and he, he asked if I can come into the office and explain to him why I wasn't there. So we went through the fourth commandment, and from the Bible, he couldn't show me why it shouldn't be kept any longer. So I felt compelled to keep the seventh-day Sabbath, which I did at home from age 17 to 19, and then at age 19, I... I clearly realized that I had to be in fellowship somewhere, and I wasn't sure where to go, and I came across what was then called the Radio Church of God, and that was way back in 1964 when I started attending, and I realized uh, that they kept the Old Covenant teachings. They kept the Seventh-day Sabbath and the other holy days, seven annual holy days, clean unto meets the whole thing that I saw in the Bible, and so 
I realized I had to go, but there were some things about the organization I didn't like. I didn't think they were correct. I thought they were off base, but I felt God telling me to go anyway and keep praying about it. So I did. At 19, I started attending, uh, started attending in Oakland, uh, about 450 people, and we kept the seventh-day Sabbath right there in the hall. We'd meet from 10 to 12, 12, 10, 12, 15. First time I went there, um, the pastor said, well, you know, if there isn't anybody new here today, go out of your way and introduce yourself to them, make them all feel welcome, because we need to fellowship with people. Our, the, the title of his sermon was Fellowship and Friendliness, What a Day to Attend. And so I didn't leave there to about 5.10, 5.15 that day. I had never felt the presence of God's Spirit more in my life. And it was obvious these people were real and legitimate. They were dedicated to God. I think they would have done anything God told them to do. You know, if they had to meet 3 a.m. in, the, in an after, in a Wednesday morning, they would have been there if they felt that's what God wanted them to do. So the people were really dedicated and so loving and inspiring and welcoming. And it was an incredible environment to be in. So from all that time from 1964 uh, to 1995, we kept a seven-day Sabbath. That was a teaching of the then-called Radio Church of God. 1968, it changed its name to Worldwide Church of God. And so in 1985, uh, Joseph DeCott Sr., who followed Herbert W. Armstrong, uh, you know, just spoke to us and said, you look, in the New Covenant, the seven-day Sabbath, sunset Friday, sunset Saturday, does not need to be kept. And he went through all the scriptures to show it. So all it came out, all the documents, all the papers, to, to show it scripturally, biblically, why it didn't need to be kept. But I prayed about it. I just felt like God was telling me, you no longer need to keep a seven-day Sabbath. And so I saw things beyond what they were coming out in the literature. So I felt so excited about it that I went down to the church I now pastor. I was had a sermon there that day, way back in 1995, in about April. I was so excited about the new understanding. I taught about it. I had a deaconess in the front row get up and walk out in tears. One in the back row get up and follow her. And I heard comments, and the pastor that sent me down there from San Jose told me, uh, boy, you should have heard all the flack I got from what you said down there. And this was in June when I was going to give a sermon in the San Jose church where I was attending, where I'd attended for Eventually, 37 and a half years of my life was there. And I said, when they called me up, I said, what are you going to talk about? I said, well, I'm going to talk about our understanding around the Sabbath and the new covenant. And he said, oh, I can't believe all the flack I heard when you went down to Aptos. We were meeting at the time. He said, go ahead and give it, you know. <laughs> so I did, and I had the same response. You know, there were some people that thanked me for it that understood it better. And there were other people that just felt like, man, he's preaching heresy. Somebody got up and told me, sitting to a longtime friend of mine and said, uh, he said to me after this was over, I didn't believe a word he said. And people couldn't believe what I was saying and preaching and teaching, but I was excited about it because I could see it. It was so clear and it was so understandable from the Bible that I couldn't see years ago. And God opened my eyes and what a, what a blessing it's been. And, and amazingly, to explain to listeners, that was a major paradigm shift in the totality of the church and the teaching of the Worldwide Church of God. Uh, many folks around the periphery, been around for a while, might remember uh, Herbert W. Armstrong and the Plain Truth magazine. There was a television program. World Tomorrow. World Tomorrow. Um, and the church was known within more mainstream Protestant circles, evangelical circles, as Having a few oddities, uh, yes, very Old Covenant-centric, some at certain times in the history of the church referring to it as a bit of a doomsday cult in that Herbert W. Armstrong, not unlike Harold Camping, uh, liked to set dates and focus on when Christ was going to return. And so there was always the sense of the church operating on the fringe of mainstream evangelical Christianity 
And yet with the passing of Herbert W. Armstrong in... 1986. 1986, when Joseph Tkach Sr. took over as the leader of the church... God began using him to implement what turned out to be a major paradigm shift theologically within the church and its teachings. And quite frankly, I, I don't know that we've seen many examples in the history of Christendom when an entire denomination publicly said, we've been wrong, our leadership has been wrong, and we repent of that, and we are changing our ways doing so at the risk of major flight from within the church and people that have been members of the church for an entire lifetime that said, wait a minute, suddenly you're saying we're no longer focusing on date setting, we're no longer focusing on services being on Saturday, but instead we're going to join the rest of the crowd and meet on Sundays. A number of other aspects of the teachings of the church that were, um, not with perhaps some resistance, abandoned for the embracing of more, I'll call it mainstream, evangelical, Protestant teaching on a variety of of topics. And uh, that was a pretty trying time for the church, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Traumatic, very traumatic. We ended up losing, in our denomination, our congregation, about 85, 90% of the people. Congregation down in Watsonville was once about 125, 150 people. Now we're probably about 24, 25. Everybody came on a given Sunday. So it was very, very uh, traumatic, very difficult. There were divorces. Uh, people went all different directions, sometimes lost their faith, became atheists. Others went to Sunday churches. Some went to splinter groups, of which there's been well over, I think, 250 or more splinter groups that broke off from our organization and then had splits from that and splits from that. So it was, it was like a shotgun blast. It wasn't like everybody went one place. They went all over the place. So it was very, very uh, spiritually disruptive for many, many people, but I think very soul-searching. But for those of us who really... God opened their eyes to see it, and maybe others, maybe their eyes have not been opened. I, I, I don't know. I can't judge that. Uh, I think of Romans 14, where it says, you know, some consider one day sacred, but every others consider every day the same, you know. And so I realize that maybe their eyes haven't been opened, or maybe they haven't prayed. I can't judge why they don't see what we see, but we still have people in our Watsonville Church now that came through of that whole process that are there today, and we're just very thankful. But we we relate ourselves very much to Apostle Paul, you know, zealously out there thinking he was following God, and all of a sudden finding he was wrong, and he has to make major changes. And we have people like that, that the, their dedication to what we believed in the past is still there to what we believe now, and I'm so thankful. And ironically, there's probably few Christians alive or in the history of Christendom <laughs> that haven't had to come through those learning experiences. Some more difficult than others, some rapid to embrace the truth and the teaching of the gospel, others with perhaps a bit of a jaundice eye taking a wait-and-see position. Joining me today in studio is the senior pastor of Watsonville Christian Church, Pastor John Jester. They meet, by the way, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Watsonville Women's Club Building. That's located at 12 Brennan Street in Watsonville. You can get more information about them on the web at WATCC, just abbreviation for Watsonville, WATCC.org. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation right after this. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. Today with me in studio is the senior pastor of Watsonville Christian Church, Pastor John Jester. They meet Sunday mornings in Watsonville at the Watsonville Women's Club. That's at 12 Brennan Street in Watsonville. Details on the web at watcc.org. Just before the break, Pastor, we were talking a bit about the paradigm shift theologically that happened inside the Worldwide Church of God and the major transition that came about once Herbert W. Armstrong had passed, new leadership in the church. Eventually, the church has even changed his name now to Grace Communion. And um, there was a lot of growing pains, to be sure, during those early days um, as leadership in the church began to revisit a lot of the church's teachings, eventually abandon a lot of the some would call it overemphasis on almost exclusively Old Covenant principles. Not that we abandon them. We know in Scripture that Jesus says, I didn't come to wipe out the Old Covenant. I came here to fulfill it. And yet to understand that transition, and and maybe this goes to the core of what is so beautiful about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is the recognition that at the end of the day, none of us are righteous. None of us have within ourselves the capacity to keep the law. If we had the capacity to keep the law, there would have been no need for a new covenant. And then to realize that in the new covenant is revealed the totality, the enormity of God's love for his creation when he said, I'm going to take all this on. Setting his only begotten son to pay the penalty on our behalf in saying, for me as God, it is more important that I have relationship with my creation. And so since you can't keep the law, you don't keep my word, you haven't done it since the Garden of Eden, I'm going to make a way through my son. Wow. I mean, beginning to grasp the totality of that has got to be a life-changing experience, whether you're coming from a non-religious background or from a background that perhaps for a while spent a lot of time emphasizing more of the old covenant teaching than the new covenant, that sense of liberation that comes from that revelation knowledge has got to be incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Overwhelming, incomprehensible. I think even with God's spirit, uh, it's just so enormous. Did you get the sense, having spent so much of your adult life, Pastor John, in the teaching, under the teaching of the Worldwide Church of God, that that once Joseph Takach Sr. as church leadership began unfolding many of the transitions and changes that would eventually embrace the denomination internationally, did you get the sense that there was liberation taking place? I think for many of us, definitely for those of us who understand the New Covenant, uh, when we were under the Old Covenant, you're working at a job, you have to work to 5 o'clock, and the sun sets at 4.45. So here you have, you know, your great employer, you work hard on your job, and what's the stumbling block to the people you're working for? You've got to tell them, well, i got to leave now because I'm going to serve this God. Well, that didn't go over too well. I realized we, the seventh-day the seventh Sabbath was really a stumbling block. And you realize why well, it was only meant for a certain group of people, a geographic area for a certain period of time. 
and but we take it take the old covenant and they're up in greenland the sun's setting at 2:15 on a friday afternoon and they got to tell their boss they got to leave to serve god that could be a very big stumbling block so so when we realized in watsonville we you know we we changed from saturday to sunday uh july 18th uh 2005 and we took about two years and three months to pray about it i did surveys and said just pray and ask the lord what he wants us to do because we're meeting 2 30 upstairs in an office building and realized and we were putting out in the paper inviting people in and the question would be why are you meeting on saturday and then of course we were 2 30 and we were upstairs in an office building so after two years and three months praying about it and the congregation i think came to see you knew we really need to move to Sunday. If God will open up a door and a place and a time. So we end up moving to Watson Women's Club building, a historic landmark about one block parallel from downtown Watsonville to be out and open about as much as you could possibly be, a big two-story building. And God made it affordable for us, which is also a miracle for us, a building that size, and that's beautiful. Blinds open on the sides and the back. And at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and what a difference that made. I mean, so many people came. I've never heard anybody say, you're a Christian church and you're meeting Sunday morning. But I did hear it when we were meeting Saturday, 2.30, upstairs in an office. Bill. So God just opened the door floodgates and gave us 10 a.m. at a beautiful place on a Sunday morning right in Watsonville. We, we thought we'd have to move out of the city. Our church started August 2nd, 1969, the congregation. We're in our 48th, 49th year coming up. We started in Gilroy, went to Salinas, to Monterey, to Santa Cruz, to Aptos, to Prunedale, and to Watsonville in 2000. And in 2000, we moved to the 230 upstairs in an office building. We were there four years until we made our move. So now we've been in Watsonville for like 17 years. So we thought when we were at the 230 upstairs in an office building, well, we've always moved to a different city whenever the move was made. So obviously we're going to be moving to another city. Well, God had a big surprise. No, well, I'm going to keep you right in town. You've already been you know, reaching out to people in town already. So now you're going to change and we're going to keep you right in town and we became the front page of the local paper on the religion section whole article written about why uh, we used to advertise in in our paper here for saturday 2 30 upstairs in office but now you're on sunday morning why so it, we became front page and we had we, we had we were on radio and kkmc down there and in, in in salinas and people started coming we had new people coming and baptized people and People came from other churches, and I thought, wow, what a difference. But, yeah, liberating, absolutely liberating for the point of evangelizing. Because when I first came to the then-called the Radio Church of God attendance in Oakland in 1964, it was very secretive. You had to be invited to come. They would ask you how many booklets in, of our church had you read, and they wouldn't— I just wasn't given out. We were probably about as non-evangelistic as you can be. We evangelized by the radio program and the Plain Truth magazine, but we didn't do it ourselves. And the church, you had to basically beg to get in there. And that's one reason that kept me from going for two years, because I thought, something's wrong with this. We should be opening the doors and inviting everybody in. So liberating, liberating personally, too, where now I'm in a position where God's put me in a place where the church is a block from the main street of downtown. We have a banner outside, a sign on the fence all the time, inviting people in all the time. We have people we have walked in off the street, have seen the sign, and now have been baptized. I'm seeing a sign on a fence and coming in. It's so completely, like 100% different than what I first experienced, what I thought was wrong. And like God saying, well, keep praying about it. And I'll change it. Well, I didn't expect 
to be in a spot where I'm at now where I could, I could advertise and be here on KFAX and say, look, we're welcome. Come in. You know, the doors are open. You're welcome anytime. You don't have to go through any hoops. We're here on Sunday morning, and you're welcome to come and meet all of our people. It almost sounds like what you've described, <laughs> Pastor Jester, under the old paradigm was a closed, close-knit, almost like a, a society, members only, by mm-hmm. invitation only, and then you look at that and think, well, wait a minute now. In my Bible, it goes from Genesis all the way through Revelation. There's a little transition right there in the middle where we jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's all part of the same book. It is considered to be the whole counsel of God from the opening words to the closing amen. And part of that whole council encourages us to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. And that it sounds like the old approach was anything but. It was almost like you had to have, there's a lot of societies and, and, and fraternities and fraternal organizations as well as members only and by invitation only. And you have to be sponsored by a member in good standing to be considered for membership as this is supposed to be a close-knit, closed gathering of people. And yet that isn't at all the picture that we have in the New Testament of the kind of place that God wants heaven to be when we're told that he sent Christ to die for all of us, that none should perish. And when we go back to that passage of Scripture that we should go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in, to me that sounds like the kind of Christianity that we should be living out as opposed to what you describe as very closed and cloistered yeah absolutely absolutely yes the people there were very very dedicated but overall we didn't reach out uh, invite people in didn't put a sign outside the church where we were buildings where we were meeting that we were there and they all invited to come in um, we do down in watchville put a sign out there you know like i say they they've come in right on off the street into us which is as you say that's the way it should be just welcome everybody in no matter who they are Pastor John Jester is with us today in studio, senior pastor at Watsonville Christian Church. They meet Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with a pre-service prayer time at 9.40 a.m. That's at the Watsonville Women's Club, located at 12 Brennan Street in Watsonville. Details on the web at WATCC. That's W-A-T-C-C dot O-R-G. By the way, I also mentioned that uh, Pastor Jester gives weekly sermonettes and biblical insights at 515, right in the middle of Lifeline here on KFAX, every Friday. So make it a point to tune in for that as well. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation with us today in studio, the senior pastor of Watsonville Christian Church, Pastor John Jester is with us today. They meet, by the way, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in Watsonville at 12 Brennan Street. That's the location of the Watsonville Women's Club. Details on the web at watcc.org. That's watcc.org. Take me back. You were mentioning earlier... Pastor Jester, about your experience having grown up in a home where your parents were not church attenders. Your sister was first invited by a friend to attend a local Baptist church. She brought you along. Eventually, that brought you into the faith. Um, was there any impact on your family as a result of you and your sister getting involved in the church? There was, yeah, very much so, Craig. Um, at the beginning, it was fine. My father had grown up 
uh, attending a Methodist church. He was a believer in God, believer in the Bible. He was following a, an evangelist of his day, whose name I won't mention because my dad may have been wrong in his summarization of him, but he thought the evangelist, he came to believe the evangelist was in it to get a name for himself, power and prestige and money. And it turned my dad off to Christian leaders. And so he was desirous and he didn't mind my going to church. He encouraged it, thought it was a good thing to, to do, but he didn't go himself. And my mom never went. She'd had a Catholic background, but mom never talked to anything about religion. We never asked blessing on the meal, grace, or anything like that. Um, as time got on, as I got more and more involved in what was called the Radio Church of God, and later became the Worldwide, now Grace Communion International, um, I went there all the time. I kept the seven-day Sabbath, and I was tithing, and I was keeping the seven annual holy days, and I was in a speaking club, and, and he thought I was too involved. And so then it became uh, an issue. And he just didn't want me to be that involved in a church. And so I would actually be the opposite of what many, many kids were. I snuck out to go to church. I would actually sneak out of my bedroom <laughs> to get head off the church so we wouldn't, wouldn't have a problem with my dad. The and rest he, of us were sneaking out too, John, yeah, but for entirely yeah, different exactly reasons. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it really came to head. My dad just was really uh, opposing me to be that involved in a church. And he thought I was going down the wrong path. And I understand. His, his motives were were correct. They were proper. He was a loving father, a great father, very strong, strong father, a great example. But he just didn't want me to go down a wrong path like he thought he had gone down. And, you know, it's amazing that you mentioned that because we've often heard it said from um, those that have been disenfranchised from the church that say, you know, well, I've seen what you Christians do. Sunday morning, it's just a club full of heretics in there and people that are not really genuine. We've, we've all seen it. And sadly, sometimes the biggest stumbling block uh, between people coming to Christ um, or other Christians. Absolutely. I've heard it. Yeah, the, absolutely. What helped me greatly was I had a number of my friends from church would come over, and my dad and mom loved them. Absolutely. Then one night, our pastor came over dressed casually. My dad didn't know he was a pastor. He was a young pastor, about 27 years old. I was like 19 at the time. So my dad had all this upheaval in his mind about me going. Pastor came by for an unexpected visit. So my dad took him aside and they were talking, my mom and I, with, with the deacon that came along with him. So my dad spent quite a bit of time talking. He did not know this was the pastor. And so the pastor talked the language of my dad. He had been uh, my dad is in the carpentry business, construction business, and this particular pastor had grown up uh, in engineering. So he could talk building, construction, that type of thing, very wisely, you know, he had to talk the language of somebody. So after the pastor and the deacon leave, my dad says, well, where do you know this Denny from? I said, you know, he's, he's really a great guy. You play basketball with him? Or you know him from work? And I said, Dad, he's the pastor. My dad literally turned white. His ruddy complexion, all the blood went out of his face. His mouth dropped open. First time in my life, before after I ever saw my dad speechless, literally speechless. He had never encountered anybody that could be that down-to-earth, that humble, that conversational, that pleasant, that enjoyable, that could possibly be a pastor. And so after that, I didn't have the problem I had before. It went away. You know, it's interesting because that, that, that I think ideally described what some might refer to as lifestyle evangelism. I think sometimes we, we, we go about the business of sharing our faith 
with an agenda. It's like we're trying to, uh, you know, put notches on the end of the, the gun, as the old saying goes. Uh, we're, we're trying to almost force um, on people because we have a sense of obligation. So instead of sharing our faith because it's something that, that bubbles up from us because of our love for Christ and our personal relationship with him, we don't share because it's something we get to do. We share because we feel it's an obligation. It's something we have to do, like paying our taxes. And I think sometimes people can sense that. They realize that you're, you're not coming about this naturally. This is forced. There's an agenda here. And as a result, the guard goes up. Do you think it's true that the approach of just being ourselves and loving people to Christ is the most effective means of evangelism? Absolutely. I think that's why we like being here on your radio station and just letting people know the doors are open and they're welcome to come, uh, why we like having our website. Even if they never show up at church, we hope the one-minute messages we have airing on your program on Fridays, we hope the website helps them. That's why we're doing what we do. We just want to help people sow seeds, water their faith. Whether we ever see them again or not, that's fine. We hope the messages help them. We hope the website helps them. If they stop by one time, that's fine too. Maybe that's all God intends. But I agree. Yeah, just just share Christ as God, as God guides us to. I, I don't think it has to be contrived at all. I, but I agree. It just people see that it's contrived, and I, I think people sense that. And, and I, I think, in fact, one of the things that I excuse me, one of the things that I, I always try to encourage people to do, I say, you know, pray and ask what Jesus Christ wants you to do. We have people come. I said, you know, and they they feel in sense maybe they should be leaving our church at times. I said, well, pray about it. Maybe maybe He does want you to leave. Maybe you could serve better elsewhere or be served elsewhere. So I said, just ask Christ what he wants you to do. In fact, our mission, our mission at our church is to teach everyone, 10 words, to teach everyone to live unconditionally surrendered to Jesus Christ. And that's all the time. And maybe at times we've seen this happen. We have people feel that God was getting him to leave. And so, I, you know, we pray about it together and say, you know, maybe it's true. If, if, he, if he is guided, no problem. Come back here. We're still friends. If he feels you're guided to leave, please, please go. Go and follow him. And as soon as we do that, we have a new, they leave. Great attitudes, great leave, still friends, and somebody else comes in brand new and usually have the same talent, ability, and skill to do something mm. that the person left does. And it just gives the new person an opportunity, and the other person can take what they've learned from us elsewhere. And we just leave it all up to Christ. And we, it's nothing contrived. It's, hey, ask Jesus what he wants on anything we do in our church. All of our decisions, we changed our names a couple times. We used to have a denominational name. Then we changed it to Monterey Bay Christian Church. And that, I saw that was a problem. That was a stumbling block. So I knew, okay, i got to present this. So we changed it from... Monterey Bay Christian Church to Watsonville Christian. Because people were saying, well, why are you calling yourself that name and you're meeting in Watsonville? I said, you know, we just had, so I did a survey, as we tried to do. Say, take two weeks, pray and ask Christ what he wants. And when it came back, everybody that responded, which was almost everybody, all said, yes, we need to change the name. And just a matter of sending everybody to Christ. You know, where do you want us to be? What do you want us to do, Lord? But it's a matter of what we learned in, in way back, Radio Church of God to Worldwide, to what Joseph Dukat, Herbert Armstrong used to say, you know, don't believe me unless you see it in your Bible. That was what he used to say all the time. Well, we followed that, and we changed from his teachings to what we now have. But we try to just lead everybody to Christ. Just have a personal relationship with Christ. Where does he want you to be at any moment in any time? Well, and that sense, as I mentioned earlier, of, of going out into the highways and byways and compelling them to come in. Now, some people think that means grab your Bible, thump it over their head, grab them by the neck, and pull them into church. Right. <laughs> I think the most compelling argument is the changed life. A person who has surrendered their life to Christ, 
who have seen God do an amazing thing in changing their mindset, their attitude, their relationships, everything about them, um, which, of course, is the whole goal of the gospel anyway. As we come to Christ, it's not just a matter of experiencing grace and forgiveness and assurance of salvation and place in heaven, but it's also the power of the changed life in that we become more and more like him as we become less and less like ourselves. And so in that, there is nothing more compelling to somebody out there who is a seeker, who's looking for answers, who's uncomfortable in their own skin, who has a sense of being lost without direction, no sense of satisfaction. Maybe they have wrestled, too, with questions about the here and after and what happens when I die, all of those questions. And so to come across somebody who is living out that personal relationship with Christ and is demonstrating in the way they live the power of the changed life. To me, there's nothing more compelling than that. And and what more to say to somebody, what have you got? Why are you so happy? You've gone through adversity and trials and tribulation, and yet you still have a peace and a joy that, as Scripture tells us, surpasses all understanding. And, of course, we know from a Christian perspective that emanates from our relationship with Christ. And yet for those who are on the outside, so to speak, looking in, if they see that demonstrated in a an honest, pure fashion, I think we'll feel compelled to ask the questions, mm-hmm. what do you know, or better put, who do you know that I don't? Absolutely. Great. One of the things that's most exciting in our church is when people come new to faith and they commit their lives to Christ, they have God's Spirit, and they tell me other people around them who they've known for their lifetime will say, something's different about you now. What's different? You have this peace. You have this joy that I never saw you have before. That's exactly what you say. And those are the people that bring other people into our church because they can see the difference. They can see a night and day. Okay, they're going to hard and difficult time, but just as you say, you know, they see, wow, you had a joy and a peace. You're different. Something's different about you. And then they have a chance to naturally share their faith. Well, this is what's happened to me. You know, Christ is in my life, and I've gone here, and I've learned more about God, and this is so much of a better life than what I've ever had before, and I've got rid of these bad habits, and I've gotten the new ones here. And we had one of the men that came there, and he was there for two years, passed the microphone one day, and he said, you know, I've been here, and he was like 48, 49 at the time, said, I've been a Christian now for about two years. These have been the best two years of my life. But his joy and his, the change that they see in the people's lives, it's just night and day. But those are the most evangelistic people who weren't going down the Christian path. God gets a hold of, and they commit their lives to Christ, and they have this new joy, this new understanding, this new awareness about life, why they're on planet Earth, why they're alive. God's got a purpose for their life, and, and, and you just so radiate. Uh, it's just so exciting to see. And, and to see how evangelistic they are naturally sharing with other people, explain to people what the difference is from where they were before. It's a, uh, almost a Paul on the Damascus, or Saul on the Damascus Road experience. Here's a man who had a career persecuting the church, who has an encounter on that Damascus Road, loses his sight, and actually he had been blind the entire time. And then that encounter leads to him regaining his sight. Some might argue spiritually gaining his sight for the first time and went on to become undoubtedly one of the best and greatest evangelists and certainly the author of the the lion's share of the New Testament. We all know the story of Saul that became Paul. And I think that kind of Pauline experience is one that God 
uh, wood that we should all have. Let me take a time out. We're going to come back with some final comments. Pastor John Jester from Watsonville Christian Church today with us in studio. They meet Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And, of course, that's at Watsonville Women's Club located at 12 Brennan Street in Watsonville. Details on the web at watcc.org. That's watcc.org. I'll mention, by the way, that Pastor Jester is going to be featured this coming Sunday at 12 noon on our Church of the Week segment, so you get a chance to hear a full-length sermon. Also, a reprise of this conversation, if you'd like to hear it again, tomorrow, Saturday at 5 p.m. right here on KFAX. A brief timeout, back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Pastor John Jester is with us today in studio, senior pastor from Watsonville Christian Church. Details on the web about their ministry at watcc.org. That's watcc.org. We were talking in the previous segment, Pastor Jester, about that Damascus Road experience. And I guess a lot of it comes down to, for all of us, this notion that life is a journey, and that our, our, our spiritual awakening, coming out of darkness into light, beginning that relationship with Jesus Christ, and all that needs to change through the power of his Holy Spirit, really is a journey, and it's not an instantaneous one. By that I mean that, yes, indeed, we were bought with the Christ, that the finality of Christ's work on the cross serves us for all time, When we have surrendered our life, repented, and committed to Christ, the surety of our salvation is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And yet the process of changing from the old man to the new man, that's a journey, isn't it? I mean, Paul talked about having to die to self daily. And so I guess a big part of your story is journey, a big part of the story of the background of the church is journey, and I guess it's a journey that Christ invites all of us to take. Absolutely, and a great journey, a very exciting journey. And I told our people, there's no end to grow spiritually. You know, we're going down physically, most of us there in the church. We get the young group who's still getting stronger, but the others of us are going down physically, but we're going up spiritually. And there's no end to the amount of wisdom. There's no end to the amount of joy. There's no end to the amount of faith. And that's so exciting to know that, you know, it's not over when you get older. It could be better. In fact, it should be better. And there's always more to learn. I, you know, continually, continually, we all read through the Word of God. And we'll see something, and all our people do. They read it for years and years, and all of a sudden see a scripture that pops out, and they never saw that what was in that truth before, that they could apply and put into their life, or applies to what they're going through at the time, that they read it right over before. And God opening our minds to see what he wants us to see at any given moment in time. There's always more to learn. I mean, realizing that God is infinite. You know, we'll never, we'll never learn everything there is about God. And that's so exciting to realize there's always more growth. There's always more progress we can make. We could always become more Christ-like. We never arrive. There's, there's always a further journey. There's more down the road. That's not bad. That is good. So there's never an end. There's always a new beginning and, and continuation on the journey we're on, which is exciting. And it's interesting because relationship counselors will tell you that one of the dangers to a marriage relationship is and there's a sense of stopping the the discovery process of each other, um, and when that happens, then all of a sudden you kind of lose interest. And we know sometimes what happens is the end result to marriages like that. And yet, our, in our relationship with God, as you aptly point out, there's always a new discovery. 
Every day is new. Every day is different. A passage of Scripture that you've read for a lifetime, suddenly you read it in a different way. And and I think that's good because it, it it's demonstrative of the notion that as we serve a infinite God who displays infinite love, infinite mercy, it may be initially it's kind of hard for us to wrap our finite minds around it. We like to think of everything as having a beginning and the end. And when you think about the totality of Christ embracing us through his work on the cross and, and, and the, the enormity of the love that God displayed, people say, well, I, I really can't understand that and relate to it. And it's probably at a level good that you admit that. Because never before nor since has has the world ever seen that kind of love displayed toward mankind. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just overwhelming, overwhelming in a joyous way to realize that, how awesome Christ is. I just, uh, I think we all look forward to the time we meet him in person and just see him and just, just mind-boggling. Just, uh, we'll be growing and learning for eternity. And that's exciting. There is no end. And as you say, the journey will be for eternity. Spend a moment, if you would, here, Pastor Jester, and tell us a bit about church service times and the ministries available for folks that are in the Watsonville area. Sure. Uh, We open the doors at 9 a.m. We meet again at the Watsonville Women's Club building. Um, They're welcome to come in and help set up coffee, tea, fellowship. Uh, We have the 940 approximately uh, pre-service prayer meeting. Services start at 10 uh, we have beautiful music. We have three worship leaders. Uh, then we have what we call thanks and prayer time. We're in small enough we do this. We have two minutes maximum each person has. We pass the microphone up and down the rows to give thanks, offer, or give a prayer. And they don't have to. It's completely voluntary. So it gives me an opportunity to hear everything going on that, that they feel is crucial in their life that they want to talk about. Then I take the time and pray for each of those items and each of those people, whatever it's, whether it's them or a friend of theirs. Uh, then we have... Uh, the sermon, which is typically 45, 50 minutes, expository style most of the time. We go through books of the Bible, Old and New Testament books, virtually word by word, verse by verse, uh, teaching it to how to live it. How do you live? Why is it there? You know, why is it there? It's all, we're supposed to live by every word of God. So how do we live by this word of God? Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, wherever it's at. Uh, and then afterwards, we always stay in fellowship. We have people bring snacks every week. Once a month, we have a potluck. We have a monthly communion. But afterwards, people just stay as long as they want to stay. And everybody gets to know everybody. And that's, that's one of the highlights of our church being so intimate. One person said, you know, when they came to our church, said, in this church, I know everybody and I am known. So we have everybody's backs covered. We have during the week, we have an email prayer warrior list. They have a need for prayer for themselves or someone they know. It's very active. And almost every day, there's something to be praying about for someone. And then we have a ladies' fellowship periodically. Um, and we just are teaching people to, to share their faith wherever God guides them. It goes back to our mission, to live unconditionally surrendered to Jesus Christ, be willing to do whatever he guides us to do at any moment in time, and just live, live for him. Uh, we make changes in our church as, as God sees us to make changes. Uh, the major one, of course, from the day and the time location, uh, change of the name. Uh, but it's a very close-knit group. It's a, a welcoming group at the same time. Um, we open up the doors. We get signs, banner out there. We welcome everybody to come in. Uh, so everybody is welcome. Uh, we look forward to meeting everybody, no matter who they are, what their age, what their background, whether they've been around church for 100 years or they, they've been around for 100 minutes <laughs> or less. They're welcome to come in, and we look forward to meeting everybody. We just open the doors and know God's blessed us there with a beautiful place to meet. Uh, it's about uh, a block parallel from downtown, 
So anybody wants to come, they're always welcome to come. Come check us out. Just visit, meet other brothers and sisters in Christ. Need prayer? Come in, and we'll be happy to pray for you, pray over you, anoint you. Uh, you know, whatever whatever the need is. And we just follow. We've times we've had small groups. Sometimes people invited me to come in and conduct Bible studies. So we just leave it to God to guide us. We're not set in concrete. We've learned the history of our background. Be listening to the Lord, whatever he wants to do at any moment in time, to be willing to just live for him and carry out whatever he wants us to do. And I think that kind of atmosphere that you describe in, in terms of the, the, the local body, the local fellowship, allows an environment where there can be intimacy and relationships, which, of course, is what is modeled in, in, in God's desire to have relationship with us at the most intimate of level, and an opportunity for that spiritual iron sharpening iron to take place. You can get lost so easily in a big church that you never have a real sense of, of connectivity or belonging. And it sounds like the experience at Watsonville Christian Church is very much a one of, of a sense of intimacy and belonging. Information again on the web at watcc.org. That's Watsonville Christian Church, watcc.org. I mention again that Pastor John Jester will be featured this coming Sunday at 12 noon on our Church of the Week broadcast. And of course, a reprise of this conversation tomorrow, Saturday at 5 p.m. right here on KFAX. I'd like to thank Pastor John Jester for taking time to come by and visit. Good to see you again. Good to see you again, Craig. Thank you very much. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.